We're looking at session three in Discover Relationship with Jesus. We've said that uh, there's nothing more important than cultivating an environment, an atmosphere, a culture, where the most important question, when you bump into someone else who you know loves God and is part of the same family, the most important question you can ask them is, how are you doing with God? And uh, if that's going to be the case, we've got to talk about some of the tools. How are we going to create that environment? So we're looking at the second tool. Last week we looked at, uh, for what has been, for some, a dirty word, the word discipleship. We said, actually, it's a very biblical word. We want to reclaim that. We want to model something that's very fresh and exciting, very very full of freedom. And today I want us to look at um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you grab your Bibles... um, there's some notes on the table. Um, apologies, some of them are very um, readable. Some of them would be in different colours. Um, we had problems with the printer today. If you want to have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. This is obviously Paul writing to Corinth. Uh, Corinth was quite a, a young church plant when he wrote this letter. It, it got itself into a pickle, um, and that's an understatement. Um, and he's, he's, um, he's having to address some fairly significant issues um, that range from uh, just the breakdown of community to debauched, uh, crazy lifestyle of the extreme, okay? But catch his heart, right? So this is him writing, addressing those issues, but this is the heart that the people who read it get. Verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. It's interesting, isn't it? You'll see on your notes, I've I've titled this, We Need 10,000 More Mothers and Fathers, Not 10,000 More Guardians. Um, Paul's point here is that a guardian is someone who has responsibility for the well-being of an individual, but a guardian is someone who's quite aloof. They function from a distance. A mother or a father is someone who's intimately involved. And there's that sense that you catch there in, in Paul's letter. They, they refer to the individual as my dear children. This is something that involves sweat and tears. This is something that, that means that they get their hands dirty. It's, it's a 24-7 role. And what the church needs, if we're going to see men and women in increasing numbers with greater depth in relationship with Jesus, we need not just more men and women who will fulfil a role, the guardian, we need men and women who, have, who are utterly convinced I am called by God to be a father. It's not a job. It's, it's not something that I've been asked to do to fulfil a ministry. It's not something that, that I've been given a job description and in 12 months' time it finishes. No, this is actually my call. This is my destiny to be a mum and a dad. 
in a spiritual sense. So I want us to look at that. I, um, some months ago, you treasure the little moments when your own kids come to you and, um, and you begin to see that some of what you long to see in their life is actually taking shape. And I remember Anna um, and I, we were in the car. I'd had a tough morning. I'd had a, a bad week. This is when we were living um, in our last setting. Uh, things had been really tough. I was frustrated. I, I, I was obviously unprocessed. I was feeling lots. And um, Anna asked me the question, completely unsolicited, Dad, how has your morning been? And I thought, wow, isn't that really great that my daughter wants to ask me how my morning had been? And um, I remember just uh, being surprised at the amount of emotion that just suddenly welled up. And I said, is it right if I just talk a little bit, Anna? And I, I started crying. We were driving along, and there were tears rolling down my eyes. And she just started to draw me out with questions. Now, how is it that Anna could do that? Um, my suggestion to you is that she's been shown how to do that. She's been in an environment where where that is a, a common occurrence. Um, it, it then transpired that just a few hours after that. I caught her calling her brother a cow and um, I took her to task over the fact. Um, I said, where on earth did you hear someone using that name to describe someone else? She said, I heard you calling mummy that this morning. <laughs> and I thought, goodness me. You know, it was like in one, one short period of time you had, had a wonderful example of, wow, when... When, when mums and dads get it right, you know, it produces great fruit. When mums and dads get it wrong, it's like, oh, no. Uh, mums and dads are powerful forces to shape children, aren't they? And we all know that from our own lives. Um, if we want to see more people, not in church, we, we long to see more people in church, but our, our longing is to see more people in relationship with Jesus. Um, if we want to see people in more mature relationships with Jesus, where they would know in the metaphorical equivalent of getting in the car and dad's had a bad day and, and what do I do? How do I handle this person? If we're going to see more of that, then we need more mothers and fathers. We need more people who, who feel, I've been equipped. I know some of the tools I need to bring to bear to help this person move from A to B in their relationship with Jesus. I think that's, that's got, that was always God's intention. He did it with the twelve, he equipped them. We're going to look at some of the very practical ways that he did that. He set them up not to be experts, not to be perfect, not to be um, nicely polished and, and, and looking slick, but actually to be equipped to get into the nitty-gritty of, of normal, everyday life so that at, at the end of the process, the twelve had multiplied. Not just been added to, but multiplied because they knew what it was to be mothers and fathers. You'll see that I, I want to look at a number of different headings. We're going to hit them quickly. Um, but the first one is the importance of fathering and mothering. Um, I wonder when you hear the word father or mother, and if I use one without the other, I'm, I'm meaning both, okay? But I wonder what first comes to your mind when you hear that word, father, mother. <coughs> Dad, mum. Because the reality is, for some of us, it will be, oh, that's a very positive thing. It's again like the discipleship, isn't it? For some of us, it will be, oh, hang on a minute, cool, I'm feeling some things there, or I know I've had to work through some things there because of what mum or what dad represent. And 
I guess whether your experience is good or bad this evening, again, what I would want to say is, we, we want to be a community that's shaped by the Bible. Bill Hybels has lots of lovely phrases, and one of them that I find very helpful is, a biblically functioning community. Communities can function on lots of different premises. We want our premises to be a biblical one. And in the Bible, mums and dads, Paul says, are crucial um, if we're to see something of, of health. Um, so if, it, if it's been a bad thing for you and you're going, oh, yeah, I, I didn't have a good experience, and, and you might even be sitting there going, and I struggle to feel like I'm a good mum or a good dad, then I, I want to encourage you there's hope. There's hope in the truth of God's word and there's hope in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in terms of what he wants to do and where he wants to take us. If your experience has been good, then I, I, I want you this evening to embrace it even more and recognise that God wants to increase your capacity for it. Um, I, um, I remember watching the film Deep Impact. Has anybody seen that one? Uh, I remember this was some years ago that uh, Rachel and I had just got married. And um, it's a film about, um, it's, you know, one of those silly Hollywood films where a meteorite is about to hit the planet Earth and they suddenly realise that... Um, they're going to be obliterated, uh, or at least 50% of the planet. And the story really just tracks a number of different people. And each one of them, in their different ways, finds out that when, when they're faced with the final reality of death, that the most important thing is relationships and family. And there's one particular bit where a daughter who's never spoken to her father for years they've had an argument and they refuse to talk. It's just the story of how she finds her dad and in that wonderful Hollywood way stands with her dad on the beach as the tidal wave just <laughs> consumes them. Well, I remember watching that film and it was in a season of my life where God was just showing me that there was lots of pain to do with some of my growing up years. Um, I was greatly loved. Uh, I am greatly loved but there were numbers of things in our family that, that didn't work as God intended them to work. And as a result, it, it shaped me in that way. And God used things like that just to sort of highlight um, in me, actually, oh, I've still got a deep longing to be fathered. My dad died when I was very young. And that film began to make me realise there's something very natural in me that longs for a father to champion me, to love me to serve me, to call me out. And God used it, uh, amongst many other different things, to make me realise, actually, yeah, I need to listen to that, because I haven't had it. It wasn't my fault, but I, I must make sure that I now open myself up to God, that I get it, because this is how his kingdom works. It, it's based on family. Um, I've realised that every significant step that God has grown me in at some point, each of those steps, there will have been a fathering or a mothering of some description. Some of that was for my mum and my dad. So my dad, I remember very significantly, um, I remember the way he handled his money. At the time, I just did not get it. Why do you give so generously? He didn't earn much money. I remember having conversations with him, probably feeling we, we were quite short of money, um, uh, money was always very tight. He, my mum did a fantastic job just getting food on the table. I remember that sometimes. And it was that sense of then, why do you give your money away, Dad? 
Yet he fathered something into me in those early years, that sense of honouring God and trusting God and, and faith, even in the face of adversity. And I realised he put something in me and it moved me on. Um, some of it wasn't my mum and dad, some of it was my peer leaders. I remember um, the church where I met Rachel. Um, for the first time, some of the peers around me, the way they treated women, was, a, was very different to the way that many Christians around me, single guys, had treated women. I realised these guys take God's word seriously. They respect women. They put boundaries up. They guard their hearts. They don't cross those lines. And realising, ooh, I need to let that shape me a bit. So, peers. Sometimes it was friends. Um, I remember uh, we encountered some Christians in, in the church that are sending some guys over for our Let's Go weekend. And it was the first time I'd ever met Christians who were not afraid to be honest at gut level. And I remember um, one of them once turning to me saying, um, I think you're quite emotionally shut down, Chris. And it was just the shock of, no one's ever said that to me before. But actually, there's something very appealing because the heart that it comes from, you're, you're, it was a, a woman who said to me, uh, you're mothering me. You're, you're saying there's more for me to know here and there's a heart of love behind that that wants me to experience it. Why wouldn't you? I didn't couldn't have articulated it in that fashion at the time, but I realised she was mothering me. Um, sometimes it's church leaders that does the mothering and fathering. Um, but it, God, God wants us to recognise and become awake that unless we aspire to his call on every single one of us, it's not about, are you full-time, are you not full-time? It's, it, are you a child of God? Are you in relationship with Jesus? Then your destiny is to grow into a mother and a father to receive mothering and fathering within an environment um, that God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit themselves model to us, preferring one another, recognising authority, trusting one another, so on, so on. So, um, uh, good fathers, they, they, they do great things. I remember going to Tesco's just after our first child, Anna, had been born and I remember distinctly uh, realising a shift in my mentality. She was a little baby, uh, only a few weeks old, and I was in Tesco's. Uh, she wasn't there, Anna wasn't there, uh, Rachel wasn't there at all, but I heard for the first time a baby cry as a father. And there was a cacophony of noise in Tesco's. It was a late night Tesco's. And I, re I remember just thinking, in the midst of all of that, I can hear the voice of that baby. And it was, it was like my ear was attuned. And immediately I was going, ooh, is that my child? And then it was, ooh, no, no, it's not my child. That's what a father does. A father listens out. You know, just imagine the difference that, a, that that sort of impact has in an individual's life. Imagine the impact that a, a father has who's there to catch you when you get it wrong, to gently encourage you when you feel like holding back, Imagine a father. I remember one day my dad, I, I, it's funny, I, I don't remember much about what my dad looked like, but I do remember what his hands looked like. It's just one of those funny things. I remember the way that sometimes he'd grab my hand and we would run together. And it's that sense of, I could run faster when my dad was grabbing me and encouraging me and pulling me on. You, you imagine some of those different elements of a relationship like that. Just imagine the difference that that makes in a man's life or a woman's life as they grow up in God. And then, and then just start thinking, 
What difference would that make in a marriage? What difference would that make in a small group? What difference would that make in a street? What difference would that make to the person who lives across you in your road who doesn't even know God yet, but you're still thinking like a father, still thinking like a mother? Imagine the difference that that makes to a church. And you go, oh yeah, I think that's, I think that's something of what God wants the church to be like. Um, do you feel that? Do you sense that? So the second point I wanted to make was um, God does the modelling. He says, I don't want you to be blind about this. I want to model to you what it would look like. Um, There's that beautiful passage in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes we see God depicted as a mighty warrior. Sometimes we see him as a just judge. But very clearly, the Bible holds in tension with all of that, the beautiful compassion of a a loving, understanding, patient father. So you see, if you come this evening and you're going, I don't really think I've known much of that from God, then you must. He wants you to know that. You know, it's funny, I, I used to think that my, my nuclear family was the best family in the world. I thought it was normal until I went to university. And then I started mixing with a lot of other families and I went, um, actually, that was really healthy. And then on other things, I went, actually, that wasn't normal. We were quite dysfunctional there, weren't we? And God wants us to recognise those things. My experience is that at different times, he, it's like alarm clocks, spiritual alarm clocks go off. And in different seasons of our lives, the mercy of God will come to us and he'll wake us up and we'll go, why did I not ever feel that before? It, it's the season of God where there's grace for us to suddenly come alive in new areas. Now, I've got faith this evening. That God wants, I've been feeling that all day. I've been excited about it going, God, what do you want to do tonight? What are you going to start tonight, Father, that will ripple down for years? Part of that is because I know my destiny in God is I'm a father. And we're going to look in a minute, part of the crown of glory that when, when I stand before Jesus is going to be some of the ripples that get sent out from tonight. Now, that's, that's not a hey, look at me thing. That's just a, oh, I love the, the adventure of being in relationship with God and all the things that he brings out of us when, when we're definitely believing who he says that we are rather than some of the rubbish that gets stuck to me. So God models it. He reveals himself dramatically as a father. I've put quite a bit more down there in the notes. And then he calls us to become mothers and fathers as well. Turn to Malachi chapter 4 and if you need to index in your Bible to find that, don't worry. It's the last book in the Old Testament. So this is, this is the last time God speaks 
in, in recorded scripture before there's the big silence and then we get the New Testament. So the people of God have been walking with him. He's been faithfully sort of building community. He's, he's walked with his people and now we get the closing remarks before the next chapter, the, the next major chapter comes. And so we see a number of hints of what God wants to do in the new thing that's about to come. Chapter 4, 5 and 6, he says, right at the very end, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Full stop, end of the Old Testament. That's it. That's what the Jewish nation had ringing in their ears for that period when the prophets went silent and and that sense of the now voice of God wasn't heard for many years. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. God's saying... In the next chapter, you can expect the following. I'm going to restore family to the people that follow God. It's almost as if he's saying, where family doesn't exist, where fathers' hearts aren't united with their children, it's like a curse. I will come and strike the land with a curse if that doesn't happen. Motherlessness and fatherlessness on a community of people is like a curse. It leaves them barren. Because we don't know what's normal. We don't know what's healthy. We don't grow up into the things that actually we're meant to grow up into. It it blights us. It it curses us. God says, I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children again. And we ought to therefore uh, realise he's talking to us. That's the nature of the, of the new covenant. That's the, that's the very heart of what he's wanting to do. Isn't it interesting? He's, he's not saying, I want to come and put new structures in place, new programs in place, new ministries in place. I, I, I want to come and restore relationships. That's the heart of, of those few verses again and again and again. Um, I, I'd like to suggest, I've put it in a box there at the top of... Uh, which the top of my notes might not be for you, but I'd like to suggest uh, that after loving God and being in relationship with him through what Jesus did on the cross, that there is no greater thing that a man or a woman can do than pursue the call that God gives us in Malachi chapter 4 to become a father or, or become a mother. It's interesting, when I, when I did this once before, there was a young guy who was just going through a very messy divorce in, in the church where we were worshipping. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, um, I'm just about to get separated from my wife. Uh, um, I'm deeply hurt because um, I haven't got any children. I'm about to become a single man again. And yet you're saying to me that the greatest call after knowing Jesus and being in relationship with him is to dare to become a father. How can I be a father if I haven't got any literal children? And I said to him, I said, um, I won't mention his name, but I said, mate, uh, you've missed the point. Actually, this is a spiritual thing. I, I, I find it very helpful to draw on my physical parenting, but actually every single one of us 
whether we're married, whether we've got kids, whether we're divorced, whether we're single, all of us are called to the same call, to become mothers and fathers. And what's wonderful to see is, is that that guy now, he's married again, um, we just found out that actually he is about to become a dad physically, but what is so fantastic is that in the, in the last four or five years, he's already become a father, even before he had a little baby bouncing on his knee. And he loves it. He realises this is what I've been made for, to father other, other men and women. So uh, we need to make sure that we've got that right. Isn't it interesting why I will send you the prophet Elijah, verse 5? Um, would you remember that the incident on Mount Carmel where Elijah has that power contest and he challenges the, prophet, the prophets of Baal and we know the story, they call down fire from their God and, and he calls down fire from his God. We know that at the end, God demonstrates his sovereignty magnificently. But do you remember that then depression sets in? Uh, he flees out of fear. Uh, Jezebel, the queen, threatens him and he runs. He goes from Mount Carmel to, to Horeb and he hides in the cave. Do you remember that? And God calls him out and God's not in the earthquake, he's not in the fire, he's not in the wind. And then the still, small voice. It's this guy, Elijah. And there's something about what happened that day in the cave that Malachi is, is addressing here. He's saying, um, we, we remember the power encounter, but we don't remember... What did God say when Elijah came out of the cave? When he met the still, small voice of God? What is it that God actually said? Well, if you look in 1 Kings 19, one of the key things that God says to Elijah is, go and find a son. And so we then find Elisha being recruited by Elijah, and then Elijah spends the rest of his ministry pouring himself into Elisha. Elisha has the privilege of seeing Elijah being taken up into heaven. Now, at that point, it's interesting, he doesn't go, oh, my prophet, oh, my prophet. He goes, oh, my father, oh, my father. So what Malachi is saying here is, Elijah represents something of what God wants to bring back again. Elisha actually is asked by Elijah at one point, um, son, what is it that... I can do for you. What is it that you really want? You know, that's what dads do to their kids. You know, I'm going on a trip. Uh, anything you ask, son. Anything you ask, daughter. And Elisha actually says, I want a double portion of what you have had. And that's exactly what happens. Now, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a dynamic church if generations of mothers and fathers spiritually in every sort of in every group of people that, that they have the privilege to love and serve as mums and dads, if they saw their children getting a double portion of what they got, now that would be some church. <laughs> a double portion of servanthood, a double portion of prophetic, a double portion of compassion, a double portion of, 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 of faith, a double portion of preaching, double, and, and, you know, the thing just exponentially grows. God, you know, we, we want that on us. We want that, that spirit, don't we? wonder if we could just take a few minutes um, with someone next to you. Okay, we, we've looked at quite a bit. Um, there are a couple of questions at the end there. Um, I wonder if you could just honestly share, so no more than two, um, and again, feel free, if, if, you, if you're feeling, oh, there's lots stirring in you, 
Um, feel very free just to sit there on your own. We're not, we're, we're not going to judge on that level. But if, if you would find it now helpful just to share, what's been stirring in you in the last 30 minutes as we've looked at that stuff? Are you excited? Do you want some of that? Um, are you aware that God's raising stuff where actually you're going, oh, yeah, I know this is something of what God's doing in my life at the moment. Because, oh, there's, there's some pain, there's some stuff there. Um, now, you, you may or may not be able to share on that, but w- what is it that's stirring in you? Because sometimes knowing where you are at is very important if you're to figure out what the first step is in your journey. Um, and uh, should we just take five minutes to do that? Can you turn please to 1 John chapter 2, so that's John's epistle, towards the end of the New Testament. I I just want to sort of underline one or two things. We've seen that Jesus um, advocates what we're talking about. Uh, We've seen that the Old Testament, um, it it pre-warns us, it it looks forward with excitement to the the era where mothers and fathers are going to create uh, the community of God. We've seen a letter from Paul. That's his expectation. He talks about the church as his dear children. Um, let's have a look at John and uh, see if the theme is consistent there. One John. What if you could just um, read from in your pairs, verse 12 through to verse 14, and you'll see there that there's a natural progression that John is expecting people to grow through and therefore in any biblically functioning community you should see the three different levels that John talks about. I wonder if you can, in your pair, identify what are the three levels, um, what are the three stages of maturity that he described and then can you describe some of the facets that he he lists for each one. Does that make sense? so it's a process, in other words. John adds to the picture. We don't suddenly wake up one morning and I know exactly what to do. It's a growing thing. What are the three stages and what are some characteristics? And then you might like to ask the question, where do you think you are? Which of the three stages? And it might be, where do I think I am at the moment? Because sometimes God moves us. And we feel like we're on the learning curve again. And we've already had a season where we were fathers and mothers and... I'll, I'll leave it. See what you've got. Um, put your heads together and then we'll come back and we'll have a look at the answers. The three stages. Can someone shout them out? Child. Child. Young man. Father. Yep. Oh, capital F, Father. Ooh. And. Following the, the pattern of just the normal child, the normal adolescent, and, and you know, the, the, the mother or father. You know, babies are great to have. Aren't they just wonderful? Yeah, babies are, they bring joy. And, um, but babies disrupt things. They, they're messy. They create noise. Now, there are seasons in my life where I can go, Oh, I was in the baby phase there. Lots of mess, lots of noise. I disrupted things. You know, I I stopped the natural flow of normal life. And families have to recognize that's the cost of having babies around. 
When people, when God's got people back in that phase, maybe, you know, maybe new Christians, maybe people who God's set one of those alarm clocks off, and it's just, I realize in this area I'm a baby again, right? They need milk, they need lots of attention, people need to stop, rally round. That's family. It's not wrong. That's family. But we need to recognize that's where they're at. Adolescence, they, you know, the, it says here, they know how to feed themselves, the word of God, they can defeat lies from the enemy, so there's that sense that they can stand on their own two feet. They don't need 24-7 attention now, but, you know, sometimes teenagers can be a bit headstrong, they find it hard to submit to authority, they think they know what's right, they push the boundaries, and I've known times in my life when I've been like that, and I've, I've not been willing to submit to God, and and I've, I've learned the hard way. God goes, this is a sequential thing. Uh, it's not about your age, it's about, have you learned that lesson yet, Chris? Take you round the block again. He seems to have a, that, that seems familiar, you know, I'll take you round the desert again. If, if we need to do that, I'll do that. I love you that much. You need it in order to, to have what it takes to, to live in the promised land. So, um, you know, the problem with teenagers is, actually the problem with teenagers is, if you feel like you're a teenager here this evening, the problem with teenagers is, is you see, I never read a book on how to be a dad. I never went on a course of how to be a dad. I learned how to be a dad by having a baby. And adolescents in God grow and mature by having that that sense of, I am destined to be a father, I'd better, I better grow up. It's that call of God on them that says, I'm now responsible for, for helping, flip. I, better, I better figure out how I do it for myself in some areas. Um, now, obviously we need to have structures around that, that that make it a safe thing, but it's that sense of, I, I probably wasn't ready to become a, a physical dad. I couldn't have ticked all the boxes. Are you sitting there going, I don't think I'm ready to father or mother? Well, that qualifies you. Because ultimately we trust the father, the father, to make sure that he knows what he's doing in our lives as well as those that we're going to be loving and serving and caring for. He knows what we need to be, um, what edge of, of comfort we need to be on and just what we need to get us there if we're to grow and those that we serve are to grow. So if you're sitting there going, ah, yeah, you know, I can get out of this one. I'm not meant to be a father or mother here. Well, you're probably at the the adolescent phase. God might have you there where he's going, "Mm, I think I I feel differently on that one. And uh, uh, get ready for some surprises. 1 Thessalonians. Do you want to turn back to that? Just a couple of books back. 1 Thessalonians 2. Let's just... Look at this sense of destiny that Paul makes it so clear here. Hear the language again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. 
We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you, knew, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And then going down to verse, uh, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Answer? Is it not you? God, that's good, isn't it? So, the, the very thing that we're working for is to see something of the adventure and life and freedom of God that we're experiencing handed into others' lives. Isn't it funny, sometimes, you know, when, when, I, when I talk to other church leaders, um, this, this is because these are the sorts of questions, I'm trying to model questions that I want them to ask me, so sometimes I don't want to talk about church, I just want to go, would you be interested in me? Okay, so this is, a, this, I'm, I'm flagging this as, this is a selfish thing. I'm, I'm going, look, if I ask you how you are, would you ask me how I am? But it's just amazing. So often, they then start talking about the church. And I feel like saying, going, no, I didn't ask you about the church. I asked you, how are you? Now, there's such a culture when, when we get into positions of, of responsibility. And I'm, I'm just as guilty of going, how am I doing? Am I doing well, God? How many people came on Tuesday night to team training? Ooh, we, we had another two or three. Ooh. Paul's saying, actually, that's not what God's going to remember when I stand before him. I, I remember hearing a story that jolted me in, in the early days when I, when I was leading. Uh, a vineyard conference. Vineyard is a, an American family church, isn't And there was a guy there who had died. And John Wimber was just so aware that even though many people didn't know the big church that this man had grown, because he didn't, he had a very small church, yet he knew the significance of this man's role in the life of many people. And apparently he just stood at the front and he said, um, we don't remember this man for the large church and the fancy building and everything else. But actually, can I just ask you, that if your life was touched by this man as a father in God, would you like to stand now? And it was one of those big places with thousands of people and about 50% of this crowd just silently stood to their feet now that's his crown and glory when he stands before Jesus it's nothing that he, he, he did apart from Jesus it was all grace, it was all gift but that's his crown and glory sons and daughters there's that wonderful bit in the, in the film Saving Private Ryan where if you know the story, it's a harrowing film. It's the story of one man who is saved because his several brothers have already been killed and this platoon of guys go out to save this one man. And there's that moving bit at the end of the story where the one man who's saved is now not a young soldier, he's an old man. He stands at the graveside of the captain who gave his life to save him. And, and the, the camera just pans away. And you then realise that because that one man was saved, his son and his daughter and his grandchildren, and, and there's a whole crowd of people there. Isn't that what the gospel's about? 
because one man gave his life, it's not just about me, but it's about all those that he wants to touch through me, the Jesus in me, it's about mothering and fathering. I'd love us to pray right now. I'd, I'd love... I'm, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit that he'd impart things to us this evening. Okay? Because that's your destiny. Apart, I, I, I'll say it again. I'd like to suggest that apart from knowing God through the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, there is no greater calling that we can grasp and appreciate than realising God wants me to grow into a father and have a massive influence for the kingdom. It's not a power-seeking thing. It's a glorifying thing where I've tasted good things and he wants me to be a conduit to release that into the lives of many, many people. And in the process, God gets the renown and he gets the fame and he gets the glory. And, and that motivates me. Do you know that? There are some days when, in the last church where we were, in the eldership team sometimes, on a Tuesday, Monday was our day off, on the Tuesday we'd, we'd review how the weekend went and there were some Tuesdays that were bleak and we would, say, we would say this to each other when we were in those bleak times we would say, do you want this job? And we knew that the answer was, it's not a job it's my calling you can jack a job in you can't jack a destiny in, because that's who you are you know, there are, there are days, aren't there, when if, if you've got physical children, you'll know, God, I'd love to be able to just take the costume off and hang it in the wardrobe. There you go, the dad costumes. I'm not a dad anymore. You, you just can't do that, can you? It's the same in the kingdom of heaven. But then God teaches us, doesn't he? And he grows us through it. And he resources us with things. And, um, let's stand, shall we?